Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Triangles, the life and times of an NFL original team. Season 2, Episode 8, Breathers National Football League original team, the Dayton Triangles, limped into the 1928 NFL season. Franchise owner Carl Stork now worked in Detroit as a personnel executive for General Motors. The Dayton press had paid tribute to Stork for his generosity in devoting time to various sports, his sense of fairness, and lack of partisanship. In Stork's absence, Mike Riddell managed the team. At this point, Stork and Riddell had likely abandoned any illusions of the Triangles being a profitable home team. They were now strictly road warriors, who economized at every opportunity. In the team's later years, they traveled in a railroad car that performed multiple duties for sleeping, eating, and changing before and after games. Riddell stuck to the strategy of populating the team with homegrown players. New faces for 1928 included former University of Dayton linemen Jim Spencer and Ab Strosnyder. Former Steele High School and Colgate standout and Carl Manquette, and back Jackson Jack Kiefer. Kiefer had played high school ball in town before starring at Michigan and later Brown where he earned the nickname the Dayton Flash. Art Matsu, a former William and Mary quarterback, had played high school ball in Northeast Ohio. The popular and talented Earl Britton was also back. Conspicuously absent for the 1928 campaign were Lee Fenner and Lou Partlow, leaving Hobby Kinderdine as the last original triangle still playing. Fenner played for the independent Kesslers that season, Partlow went back to playing around his old West Carrollton stomping grounds. Gone, too, was Lou Mart, with Faye Hack Abbott returning as the team's head coach. Riddell didn't completely give up on home games, telling the press he was trying to entice the Detroit team to come to Triangle Park. However, when the final schedule was announced, the Triangles once again had no home contests. Dayton opened the season at the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets in Philadelphia on September 29th, losing a close defensive struggle 6 to nothing. The only score was set up when Earl Britton fumbled while attempting to punt from his own five-yard line. Wally Deal recovered for Frankfurt and scored on the third play after the turnover. The following Sunday, October 7th, another low-scoring affair in Chicago against the Cardinals turned on a critical mistake by Art Matsu, who threw a pick-six that accounted for the only touchdown in Chicago's 7-0 victory. 
As the season wore on, other league teams rounded into form. Dayton did not. In Providence, on October 14th, the Steamrollers dominated the Triangles 28 to nothing. The home team put up a touchdown in each quarter, exploiting the Dayton line on sweeps and off-tackle plays. The Triangles passed extensively toward the end of the game to try and get on the board, but an interception foiled Dayton's most promising opportunity. The following weekend saw another Saturday game against Frankfurt on October 20th. Unlike the game in Providence, the Triangles made this one interesting. Faye Abbott gave the Triangles an early lead with a 43-yard field goal in the first quarter. The game stayed 3 to nothing until the third quarter. The usually stoic Hobby Kinderdine was penalized and ejected from the game for rough play, and the penalty set up a rushing touchdown by fullback Wally Deal. Ken Mercer scored another touchdown for the Yellow Jackets. Dayton scored a touchdown off Frank Sillen's return of a fumble in the fourth quarter, but the Triangles could not find another score and fell short 13-9. As the 1928 season wore on, the Triangles appeared to wear down. On October 28th in Green Bay, Vern Llewellyn, who had been a bane to Dayton throughout the 1920s, added another touchdown to his tally in Green Bay's 17-0 victory. The score might have been more lopsided if the Packers had not lost a fumble at the Dayton 5-yard line following a long run late in the game. After an off week, the Triangles traveled to Chicago on November 11th, where, badly outweighed by the Chicago Bear line, they lost 27 to nothing. The following Sunday, November 18th, marked a low point in franchise history. Favored to win against the non-league Cincinnati National Guards at Redland Field, the Triangles were unable to score and gave up two touchdowns to Freddie Ghost Ship, losing 13 to nothing as 5,000 cheering fans looked on. It was the first time Dayton had suffered a defeat to a non-league team in its NFL history. The season ended in Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, where the homestanding Wolverines cruised behind the passing of quarterback Benny Friedman. Friedman completed nine of his 11 pass attempts, and the Triangles, once the league's elite passing team, had no answer for Detroit's aerial attack. The final score was 33 to nothing. The only positive note in the disastrous, winless 1928 season was that Al Pup Graham made second-team All-Pro. Earl Britton's punting was the team's main weapon. The prominence of players of Asian descent, like Walter Achiu and Art Matsu, during this period led at least one promoter to refer to the Triangles as a team of immigrants, as reported by longtime Dayton sports writer Tom Archdeacon. In the early history of the National Football League, Owners and managers of the top teams had a slang term for teams they booked to give their players a break between games against tougher competition. They called such games and teams breathers. By 1929, the once proud Dayton Triangles were breathers. They played five of their six NFL games that year before October 15th. Other teams seemingly used the Triangles almost as practice fodder. Lee Fenner and Lou Partlow returned for the 1929 season, but it hardly mattered. 
Jack Kiefer, the one-time Dayton Flash, went into the sporting goods business and played for the Ashland Armcos. Art Matsu, who had quarterbacked in 1928, hung up his cleats. Earl Britton moved on to the Chicago Cardinals, where he lasted two games. In the revolving door came Steve Buchanan, a former standout back at Steel High and Miami University, Elmer Wynn, a bruising fullback from Notre Dame, former Wabash running back John Singleton, and ends Roy Carlson and John Wallace. Faye Abbott continued as coach. Dayton opened the 1929 season at Green Bay on September 22nd. The Triangles made only two first downs and never advanced the ball into Packer territory. All the scoring came in the third quarter. Vern Llewellyn, naturally, scored Green Bay's touchdown. The other score was a safety registered when the Triangles' Buchanan in punt formation had to track down a bad snap and was unable to get the ball out of the end zone. The final score was 9-0 Green Bay. The following weekend once again saw the Triangles playing two games in as many days. On Saturday, September 28th in Pennsylvania, the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets scored two touchdowns in the first half. Early in the third quarter, Pup Graham scooped up a Wally Deal fumble and took it 30 yards for a touchdown. The last points scored by the Triangles in their NFL history. Dayton continued to press but could not find an equalizer, falling 14-7. The following day in Providence, Rhode Island, the Triangles had nothing left in the tank. The steamrollers lived up to their name, racing to a 34-0 halftime lead before coasting to a 41-0 win. Dayton failed to register a single first down. Only Providence turnovers prevented the game from becoming an historic rout. Sunday, October 6th, found the Triangles in New York for a tilt with the Staten Island Stapletons. Dayton played hard but could not generate offense, losing 12 to nothing. It was more of the same in Boston on October 13th as the Boston Bulldogs crushed the Triangles 41 to nothing. Paul Kittredge intercepted two Triangles passes, returning one for a touchdown and another deep into Dayton territory to set up a score. Cy Wentworth scored on a 50-yard punt return. In all, Boston scored three touchdowns off Triangle's interceptions. The Dayton Daily News did not report the score at all. The Herald's report consisted of one sentence. After a layoff of more than a month, the Dayton Triangles concluded the 1929 season, which would be their last in the National Football League, in front of a few hundred fans at Comiskey Park against the Chicago Cardinals on November 24th. Ernie Nevers accounted for all the scoring in Chicago's 19-0 blanking of Dayton. The only notable play for the Triangles that Sunday came from Singleton. Playing quarterback without a helmet, Singleton at one point booted an 87-yard punt. The kick bounced at the Chicago 20 and rolled through the Cardinals' end zone. Otherwise, the Triangles were hopelessly outclassed and fortunate that Chicago did not run the score higher. No Dayton paper bothered to cover the game. The 1929 season ended as the Triangles second in a row without a victory. The chief bright spot for the team was Singleton, who received honorable mention all pro accolades. 
In January 1930, the National Football League held its annual end-of-the-season meeting in Dayton at the Van Cleve Hotel. The NFL declared the 1929 season to be their most successful to date financially. Joe Carr was re-elected as president. Carl Stork was elected vice president and treasurer. The league announced it would entertain applications that could increase the number of teams from 12 to 15 and boosted player roster limits from 18 to 22. While the NFL had its mind on expansion, however, Stork probably had his mind on the end of the line. The Dayton Triangles, which he had served as player, coach, manager, and owner, could no longer compete in the rapidly developing league. The team played only about half as many games as other teams in the league, probably because bigger teams did not want to book them. The recent expansion of team rosters likely did stork no favors either. Fan interest had evaporated. The press no longer covered the team. For Carl Stork, it was time to move on. Over the winter of 1929 and 1930, Stork began to focus his attention on a new venture, becoming president of a professional basketball league based in Detroit. As 1930 progressed, Stork put out feelers to gauge interest in the Triangles franchise. He found a willing buyer in Bill Dwyer, who owned a hockey team in New York. Dwyer agreed to buy the Dayton franchise from Stork for $2,500. No players were involved in the deal. Dwyer allied himself with former Orange Tornadoes head coach Jack Depler, who defected from Orange, New Jersey with several of his players. The only Triangles player who piqued any team's interest at the time was guard Al Pup Graham, whose contract Dayton sold to the Providence Steamrollers before the franchise sale was completed. Dwyer moved the team to Brooklyn, New York, and renamed it after the local baseball team, the Brooklyn Dodgers. George Hobby Kinderdine, the one mainstay of the Triangles through every season of its existence, was heartbroken. Kinderdine went back to his day job at General Motors and reminisced about the old days. Lee Fenner signed with the expansion Portsmouth Spartans in 1930, but his heart was no longer in football and he retired after playing one game. The rest of the players went back to their day-to-day lives. After a 10-season run, the Dayton Triangles, last of the NFL original teams, were finished in the National Football League. Dayton itself, however, was not. Next time, Carl Stork leaves his mark. Triangles, The Life and Times of an NFL Original Team Written and produced by Bruce Edward Smith Copyright 2019, All Rights Reserved For more episodes, plus bonus content, check out DaytonTrianglesPodcast.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network 
back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds, as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.